Hello and welcome to the Reach Out for Mental Health podcast. I'm Stu Riffin. Joining me always is Kirsty Eaton. How are you? I'm doing really well. Happy New Year. And a happy new year to you too. It's the first time we've uh, we've seen each other since since the festivities, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. I'm just about hanging in there, you. Yep, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm rejuvenated. New year, new me, all of that stuff. But uh oh. But if we're talking positivity, we've got the right person uh, with us today. So we've got a guest. Um, John Miles, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. And thank you both so much for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, for listeners of this uh, podcast, John, that might not be aware of who you are, can you give us an introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? And then we'll kind of take a deeper dive into it as the podcast unfolds. I I. I label myself as a recovering business executive, but my my career uh, started, uh, I graduated from the Naval Academy and I served as a Naval officer for a number of years uh, before I left to initially become an FBI agent. And then our Congress here in the States decided that they couldn't pass a budget, much like the stuff that's going on now. And my class got recycled and it caused me to have this completely different career than I ever expected I would. But I spent a number of years doing big four consulting uh, with, and then from there I went into executive roles. Uh, one that people in England might recognize is I worked for the parent company of Bovis, uh, Lendlease, and spent a bunch of time uh, in Australia and in and in England and other places. I worked for another company that people probably recognize, Lowe's Home Improvement. And then I was a C-level at uh, Dell uh, Computers as well um, before doing what I do now, which is personal mastery, uh, podcasting, self-development types of uh, things. Fantastic. Th- thanks for that. And what we always generally do is start the podcast by asking, I guess, if we say the words mental health to you, what comes to mind straight away? What comes straight away for me when I hear that is that it's a problem um, that has become an epidemic throughout so much of the world right now. And I have been racking my brain for the past five to six years trying to figure out what the root cause is of so many people, uh, especially the youngest generations that are coming up and are all suffering. And whether it's mental health or the epidemic of loneliness or people who feel hopeless, um, to me, I feel that... I not the underlying cause, but a major contributor. So many people feel a sense of unmattering in their life that they wake up every day and just don't feel like they have any significance. And that's one of the major missions that I have with the work I'm doing is to try to help people understand their true significance that they have. Where do you think that's come from, John? Do you think that that's something that's got progressively worse as the decades have gone on, do you think it's something that's exacerbating, like you say, with particular generations? Where do you think that that loneliness and that sense of, you know, not belonging really comes from? One of my favorite quotes is from Henry David Thoreau, where he says, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. 
And it's a very powerful quote, but I think in today's fast-paced, success-driven society, this whole idea of living a life of quiet desperation is more prevalent than ever. And I think what ends up happening is so many of us aren't living authentically, and that's what he gets to with this whole quote. You, you mentioned that kind of waking up and, and feeling like, you know, not having a sort of purpose or direction or or kind of passion to to sort of take on the day can you recall your first experience of, of feeling like that or feeling that maybe your mental health wasn't as as balanced as perhaps it should be i think the path that i went down is probably one that a, a lot of people encounter and many maybe even listeners who are listening today are encountering and they don't even know it. So I reached a point of just extreme and utter burnout. I went from what I describe as passion struck to completely apathetic in my life. And I think the important thing for people to understand is it just doesn't happen like a light switch where you go from one extreme to, to another. I think what ended up happening to me is Early signs of this started happening, but they were in such a subtle way that I didn't even recognize them. And then over time, it was building up gradually in the background, but it was still kind of incremental stepping stones on top of a foundation. And then ultimately, when it hit, it then did the the hockey stick moment where it went from kind of a mid-grade to a severe-grade uh, mental health issue for me. But what I try to tell people is to look for some of the early signs. And for me, some of the earliest signs happened years before I finally had my darkest moments, and they were the inner voice kind of pushing me to do something different with my life, um, realizing, I think, internally that I was on this path of self-destruction um, and I wish I would have quieted down the noise enough and got into mindfulness practices much earlier in my life so that I could have seen those telltale signs and could have intervened myself instead of allowing myself to lead that life of quiet desperation that Thoreau talks about. John, can you explain a, a little more about burnout, really? Because I, I think for a, a lot of listeners, Certainly myself, <clears throat> when I think of burnout, initially I think of uh, kind of city traders under, you know, lots of pressure that have got these high, high-powered jobs that, 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 that go straight from college into them. And then by the time they reach 35, 40, they're completely burnt out. Um, that's the kind of, sort of generalization I think, you know, a, a, a lot of people, certainly from, you know, where, where I'm from, kind of view burnout it always seems to be attached to very high-powered jobs. Can you sort of give us a sort of broader insight into what burnout is for, you know, the, the average guy on the street? I'm going to turn our attention to a book that was written in 2003 by Tim Kasser. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's called The High Price of Materialism. And he did an incredible scientific explanation of how our contemporary culture of consumerism and materialism affects our everyday happiness and our psychological health. And what ends up happening 
why I think a lot of people who get burned out is that they start having their value center on the accumulation of wealth and material possessions, which leads to a higher, greater risk of unhappiness, including mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, leads to low esteem, problems with intimacy, etc. And I don't think I'm alone here. In fact, Gallup reported in 2022 that 60% of people reported feeling emotionally detached at work and 19% of them feeling miserable. So what leads us to this point of burnout? Um, I think that it's often the burden of responsibilities. As our life progresses and our responsibilities accumulate, whether that be rent, car payments, family needs, what have you, these financial commitments make it feel impossible to step away from the stable yet fulfilling, unfulfilling job that we have that we got into in the first place because we were chasing the wrong things. And then we find ourselves in this spot and we can't break out of this endless loop because we feel like we're stuck because we need to provide and maintain a certain lifestyle. And that becomes, becomes the chain that limits our freedom and our choices. And to me, you keep sitting in that every single day. And after a while, you push yourself more and more into the constant grind. And when you do that, you forego spending the time in the other areas of your life that matter so much more, whether that's your relationship health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health. And to me, that's what ends up becoming this burnout is you're over-prioritizing this constant grind, constant feeling to achieve, constant feeling that you have to have all this material success at the demise of everything else in your life. And for me, it led me to a point that I just felt emotionally numb. Like it was the probably the worst feeling I've ever experienced. I I just felt like nothing at all mattered. And at the point that this hit me at its peak, I was going into a job that uh, people would have loved to have. I mean, I'm making millions of dollars. I'm a C-level reporting to Michael Dell. And, uh, you know, ultimately I'm going into work doing, spending a hundred hours per week doing things that don't fulfill me at all because at that level, I mean, all I was dealing with was either politics or HR issues. And yet it was just encompassing everything about me because I was so focused on all of that it was creating in my life, which ultimately appeared to be these great toys that I got to play with and house and everything else, but was really just underlying unhappiness and, and apathy. So for people listening to this that are, and, and I, I include myself in that that audience because so many of the things that you've just said to me are resonating. Um, what what's the kind of first step to because, because it you know the realities of a lot of situations are people are you know have mortgages to pay and have cut you know cars to pay for and 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 families to provide for. Um, and, you know, how do you sort of navigate that balance between trying to feel more fulfilled in what you do and maybe making a step to 
to work in a you know a sector that may be more fulfilling like how how do you or what would you say to people that are experiencing so many of them symptoms that know they need to change something but it's so daunting the prospect of not being able to have that security of that job that's perhaps making you unhappy so one of the core things that i talk about now is the power of intentionality and i have been spending years trying to study and unpack what this really means and one of the things that led me to is uh, self-determination theory, which I'm not sure if you two are aware of that or the audience is aware of it. But there's a whole body of behavioral science research that was created by Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan. And self-determination theory suggests that human beings have three basic psychological needs, autonomy, competence, and relatedness that underlie all our growth and development. Autonomy refers to the feeling that one has a choice and is willingly endorsing one's behavior. Competence basically refers to the experience of mastery and relatedness refers to the need to feel connected and a sense of belongingness from others. And so let me like use that to answer your question. So it all starts with autonomy, I think. We make choices every single day. And I refer to these as micro choices. We have 50,000 to 60,000 thoughts that go throughout our brains every day. Yet the majority of them are the same ones that we have day in and day out. And we find ourselves in this loop of making the same choices and how we approach our days, how we're living them, the commute we do, the shopping center that we go to, where we buy our groceries, where we buy our petrol, they're all the same. And in order to break out of this loop, you need to start making choices differently. And I think where people get this wrong is they think that in order to create this entirely epic new life, that they need to do an epically large change. And that's where people start and that's where people fail quickly thereafter what i have learned and what i tried to to tell people is that just as i didn't have mental health issues overnight or experience burnout overnight you're not gonna undo all of that overnight either so the most fundamental thing for you to do is to start redefining what success looks like for you and to start making choices in a different direction. And they can be the simplest of choices. Pick one area of your life where you want to do something different. It may, it may be as simple as you want to be a keynote speaker. So maybe what you do is you make a choice that you're going to take improv. And by making that one simple choice, I guarantee you over time, it leads to changes in every area of your life. But the fundamental thing is that people don't under under they underestimate the power of the micro choices and don't realize that it's these insignificant choices that we make every single day that end up leading to a valley of despair or you to 10x your life. I think it's tricky though, isn't it? Now with um obviously with social media and you know, we've always had this element of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, I think that's very much a British expression, isn't it? Um, but you know this this need to 
be seen as having everything and having the perfect life. So I think making the decision yourself that you want to make a change, that you don't want to be working 100 hours a week in a job that you hate to buy stuff that you don't need, that's a hard enough decision to make. Say that you have made that decision, you know, the impact that that's going to have um, moving forward in terms of the circles that you may move in, the friends that you keep, the neighbourhood, um, it's, it, I suppose it's like, um, it, it affects more than just your intimate bubble, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately, if when you start redefining what success means, it impacts your personal growth, it impacts your fulfillment, it impacts the positive impact you have on others. But you're right, it it's going to change the very circles that uh, you're dealing with. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book, one of the, the init initial steps I recommend is that you need to start conducting a mosquito audit. And let me unpack this a little bit. Um, so the steps I go through in the book are principles that I have uncovered studying 700 plus of the greatest minds that, that I could find across everything from academia to CEOs, to actors, to performers, to athletes, et cetera. And I found 12 common principles that those who are living a 10 X life do that the rest of us don't. And it starts out with being a mission angler or this concept of life crafting, crafting the life that you want to have, what your uniqueness brings to the world. It then gets into a consistent state of reinventing yourself to, to match who you are becoming to that life you're crafting. And then the third principle I talk about is this mosquito principle. And that is we all have invisible influences that are impacting us. Some of those are activities that you're doing. Some of these are the people that you surround yourself with, which I call human mosquitoes. And I identify three of them that we need to be on the outlook for. One of those is the blood sucker, who is that boundary destroyer in your life, who's trying to get every ounce of blood that they can from you. Another is the invisible suffocator, who's the pessimist in your life. And the third one is the pain in the ass. Now, the importance of this is if you start looking at who your circle is surrounding you as you're trying to make this change and you start running them through this lens, you're going to find that there are people who are in your immediate sphere who are holding you back from achieving the changes that you want to make in redefining what success and what this fulfillment, fulfilling life you want to have is. And understanding who those people are is extremely important. Because then you can start putting up boundaries around yourself to either limit the impact that they're having or you can eradicate them completely altogether. And that's, again, that's difficult in itself, isn't it? When you've identified these, you know, this kind of toxicity within your circle to, you know, speaking as a person who has terrible boundaries historically, and it's taken a lot of effort to work on those and improve those. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's really hard, particularly when you've, you know, these mosquitoes have kind of gotten under your skin and into the fabric of your life. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's not, an, it's absolutely not an easy thing to do because many of them you're going to find are probably your family members. And we've just all gone through the holidays where I'm sure we've experienced toxic family gatherings 
Um, I mean, I witnessed one myself where uh, my daughter was talking about changing her major in school and um, a family member, instead of kind of exploring it in a positive way, explored it more from the, the negativity of what she was giving up by pursuing this alternate path. And yet we're faced with these things every single day, but most of us aren't equipped with how do you deal with them and what do you do in those circumstances? John, you mentioned that you was in the military. Um, <clears throat> in in an environment where I guess your you you know your your mind is is conditioned in a, in a in a way within the military to you know be be that soldier, be that sailor, you know, be that pilot, and 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 do things the way the military tells you to do. It's very you know sort of uh, all consuming, uh, and you know you all have to kind of you know move to the beat of the same drum. How much impact do you think that had? on your mindset because you know you're now talking about a much freer mindset pursuing you know a, a, a journey to re, you know for, for 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 joy and fulfillment like how much do you think the sort of constraints that the, that the military put on that sort of free thinking had an effect on you if at all well so i don't think it was just that i mean so to to take it back a little bit further um i mean i think our limiting beliefs start with where we're born, our family members, et cetera. So for me, I was born into a family where my dad is a prior force, prior Marine. He was in force recon, which is kind of like your S SAS. And so having a Marine for the father was pretty demanding because he had very high ideals. And on top of that, I had um, a mom and then maternal grandparents who very much were focused on high achievement and kind of laying out that they saw this vision for me of the future of being a doctor or a lawyer or these lofty positions. So even from as early as I can remember, I felt like I had this need to overachieve in my life. And then you couple that with, I grew up in um, a very Roman Catholic household went all to parochial schools so i was indoctrinated in a very conservative religious environment and then when i leave that i go right into another mind shaping organization which is the military so i would say that whole upbringing um those first 22 23 years of my life really um focused on conformity and for me, not really having this free thinking mind, but conforming to what the, the world was shaping me to become, not what authentically I was inside. And so I think for a good portion of my life, I was living uh, almost as if I was in a masquerade with a mask on me, projecting one thing to the world, but inside um, feeling as if I was a completely different person, unable to take the mask off for fear of what, uh, how that person might be accepted if the true person shone through. Was you unhappy? I'm being then? completely vulnerable. Yeah. Was you unhappy then, John? I mean, I, th I, I think it's one of those things where you think you're happy at the moment. I mean, I had 
what appeared to be the perfect wife and the perfect family and this and that. But I mean, when you are not living who you are supposed to be, when you're not living your uniqueness out, I, again, I go back to that inner voice. It's like, it's, there's an inner voice that keeps telling you to do the same thing every single day that you need to break free from. But there's also an inner voice telling you that you're not doing what your destiny is that so many of us put aside with all the distractions that we face. And I think that that voice was getting louder and louder in my head. And I was becoming uh, more and more depressed, um, realizing that this great life that I had built up was absolutely 180 degrees different than what inside I aspired it to be. And I don't think I'm alone. I mean, I think I'll go back to the whole quote that I started this whole podcast with. Okay. Okay. So your journey to, to, to find fulfillment and, and happiness uh, has led to <clears throat> the book that I can see over your shoulder there. So talk to us a little bit about the desire to write the book, um, how easy it was and 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 talk us through uh the, the the process and what people can expect from it john yeah so the book is titled passion struck 12 powerful principles to unlock your purpose and ignite your most intentional life um and i think we are best positioned to serve the person that we once were and so i think that's a major reason for me writing this is people often ask if you could go back in time and talk to your 22, 23-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? Um, so I would tell them to read this book. And I dedicated the book to my kids who are 25 and 19 because I wanted to give this next generation who I think are going to be experiencing a work environment that many of us can't even comprehend today because it's going to be so different. Um, but I think ultimately that what allows you to 10x your life is the same regardless of what the external environments are like. And it's really a lifetime journey of understanding who you are and your uniqueness. And I think the biggest mistake that we make and a huge reason why I wrote this is people don't realize that you are the most incredible person that you will ever meet on this earth. And you need to start believing it. And the way that you start believing it is you got to start doing the work that allows you to achieve it. And so that's what passion struck is all about. I created these 12 powerful principles. I give great examples of people that, that they will read about, whether it's Oprah or Bono, um, Hillary Swank, other people, Gary V, who who they can see these points come across. But most importantly, I didn't write this for someone to just read. I meant it to be a book that people live. And so I try to create very powerful activities that you can do. I'll put QR codes in here so you can get additional resources. But the book is set up so that there are six mindset shifts, which really determine the why for the actions that we do. There's six behavior shifts that get into the what you're doing. And then there is a section on, the, I call it the psychology of progress, but it's really how do you take deliberate action in your life 
which is the what and the where for how you deploy the mindset shifts and the behavior shifts. And that's what the whole book is about. Fantastic. So have you seen these principles put into action and, and work? Other than, obviously, I'm assuming that you've used them personally. How else have you seen these, you know, put into play? So I have... I spent seven years researching before I actually uh, put this to pen. Um, and so I started out by analyzing a smaller subset, and then I started to test this concept out. Uh, I was previously the associate publisher and editor-in-chief of um, a digital publication called Bold Business, and I created something called the Bold Leader Spotlight. And I started looking at more the principles that made them a great leader. And I interviewed everyone from Satya Nadala to Jeff Bezos to Tony Shway, who ran Zappos, to General McChrystal, to professional footballers, to actors and actresses. And I kept seeing this pattern keep emerging. And so then I took it a step further and I started looking at is this just things that they do professionally or is it a way of life? And from that, I kind of saw 20 or 30 principles start emerging. And then as I started to break it down more and more, I found that there were these 12, the six mindset shifts and six behavior shifts that kept coming up in 90 to 95% of all of them. And these are the people who we look up to in society because they're living these passion struck life. And I think the fallacy is we think we can't attain it. And what I have discovered through my research is it's attainable if you're willing to do the work and you know which steps to take. So yes, they're very well grounded, not only in that research, but every single one of them is backed up with either behavior science or positive psychology research. Fantastic. It's a great book to have for, for a new year and a new start and the whole new year's resolution, isn't it really? Yeah, I was I was I, I was surprised my publisher didn't uh, put it out in January, but February I guess is close enough. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, to the listeners, this podcast I'm sure would 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 love to find out more about the book. Um, if uh, it, it, I mean, you say the book um, comes out in February, and that'll be available in all usual outlets where where people can buy their publications. I imagine. Um, in the meantime, if people want to find out more about you and, and and your journey to to this where's the best place for people to find out more about yourself i would tell them to go to two different places one would be either of my websites so one is passionstruck.com p-a-s-s-i-o-n-s-t-r-u-c-k so you go from stuck to passion struck and the other one is my personal website which is john r miles.com and I had to put the R in there because there's a famous British um, rock star who I'm actually related to named John Miles, and I cannot beat my cousin's um, SEO skills. <laughs> I had to, my, my grandparents are from Cheltenham, so I had, to, I had to do something uh, <laughs> a little bit different. And then in addition to that, um, I, I have a big following for my podcast, actually, in the UK and Ireland, um, and it is passion, the Passion Struck podcast. 
fantastic. John, we'll put all of the um, addresses to these in the show notes to this episode so people can go and explore that. Uh, and as soon as the book's out, then we'll ensure that the uh, that the link to be able to go and buy Passion Struck uh, is on the show notes as well for all the listeners to go and explore uh, and find out more about. Um, John, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today. Thank you so much for, for giving up your time today and, and, and best of luck with the book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be able to serve your audience. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, John. We're going to press stop. Don't go anywhere.